organization. And uh, one of the things, you know, hopefully you've heard by now, the grand jury, I'm sure maybe you don't know, uh, in a couple of weeks, September 13th, that's the three weeks from today, uh, we'll be moving up to the Chevalier Peak. It's the same location, just upstairs. It'll be a, a new, new uh, location for our church. But, but we're still going to have a great relationship with the Boys and Girls Club. We're actually going to have our transformation station classes built down here. So it's going to give us some space, extra space and creativity uh, to allow us to serve our kids. Uh, so, um, so that's something that we can be excited about uh, as a church. Um, I wanted to come up, we're not preaching today, but I wanted to introduce uh, to you Kevin Sanders. Kevin and his family, Black Warren, is here. Uh, they're with us. Five children. And uh, Kevin is going to be apprenticing with us over this next year at Minimum uh, with the goal of planting a new church in Ireland. Okay, so we are a church that, that moved here not to just start a church, but we want to be a part of starting a lot of churches around Greater Boston. Uh, so I just want to introduce Kevin. He's going to uh, bring God's word to us today. Um, so I just want to pray for him and ask God that he would come to us as we uh, as we listen. God, thank you for sending uh, families like the seniors to Boston to be a part of your mission here. Uh, Lord, we're grateful that as a church we can come alongside and support them and hopefully give them some uh, small glimpses of what you've done here and some wisdom along the way, good, bad, and different, uh, that we've learned in church planning and started journey. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for Kevin's heart to serve not only the city, but even us today in opening the scripture. So God, as we wrap up our parenting series today, Lord, I ask you to speak through them, and that you would speak to all of us. God, give us open hearts to hear and respond accordingly to what you say to us in your word. Okay, this is Jesus' name. Go ahead, if you have your Bibles, and turn to Psalm 127. Before, before we do that, I just want to say, before we read that uh, text, um, thank you guys, Redemption Hill as a whole, for uh, how much, even the last seven weeks we've been here, we've loved our family, a lot of church planners moved to a city, they get a heart for the city, and they kind of parachute in on their own, and they don't really uh, know anybody, and so it is um, an overwhelming blessing to, uh, to have a church community that we can plug into and get involved in any which way we can over the next year, learn from, and uh, be a part of the mission. So thank you for loving me as well uh, from the video. Um, I am talking about sending this morning, and I am not speaking from experience because all of my children are under the age of seven. So I sent them to the room or the refrigerator. Uh, I have never sent any of them to college or anything like that. And so um, I, I'm coming with you under the word to, uh, to look at the goal that God gives us for our children. Uh, as a fellow parent, as a parent of here, young kids or older kids, um, I am dreaming this for my kids as well. And my kids will grow up and send out on mission for God. So let's read the beginning in Psalm 127. This is the word of the Lord. A song of ascent of Solomon. Lest the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. 
for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. As parents, we all want our children to grow up and be good and successful people in this world, right? Do you agree with that? Uh, one, one survey uh, among parents of various different backgrounds, religions, beliefs, uh, socioeconomic status has shown that there are five major qualities that parents want to see in their kids as they grow up in this order. Number one, responsibility. Number two, hard work. Number three, helping others. Number four, independence. And number five, creativity. That's good. We all want our kids to be responsible, hardworking, kind to others, independent, creative. Another, another study done by Business Insider polled thousands of parents asking them what they would encourage their children to be what they would choose as a career when they grow up. And this is in order top five careers that parents encourage their children to pursue. Number one, engineer. Engineers in here? Oops, I got one. A doctor, scientist, nurse, and architect. So if you're one of those five, you're making mom and dad proud. For the rest of us, sorry, mom and dad. Uh, but but those, those are great things. All of those things. All sorts of other careers we want our kids to have. But think about this. Is it possible for our children to grow up and we aim them towards these things, yet we miss the target that God has? Is it, is it possible for your child to grow up and become a responsible, hardworking, kind doctor, engineer, or architect, make a decent living? It had little to no impact in the kingdom of God. I would say yes, it's very possible. And it happens all the time. And we as parents, when we talk about what we want to see our kids, where we want to see them head in the future, we've got to remember that though all those things are rocking towards and they're great. We'll all be so proud of our kids if they did any number of those things. The overarching goal is we want them to glorify God. That's, that's where we want to aim them. So as we finish this parenting series this morning, the series is called Survivor Thrive, Gospel-Centered Parenting. We want to talk about thriving by sending our children out into the world for what matters most. And that's the mission of God for the glory of God. Just, just by way of a recap, in case you missed it in the last few weeks, you know how this has sort of progressed. Week one, Pastor Tanner uh, was preaching, we learned to thrive for embracing God's design to point our kids to know and love God. That's the foundation of it. We're building on that uh, even this morning, week two. We learned to thrive through loving discipline. How, we, how do we discipline our children? We discipline our children the same way God disciplines us. Hebrews chapter 12. A loving, fatherly heart. And last week, we learned to thrive through gospel-centered discipleship. Pastor John Chastain called us to consistently teach our kids about God through His Word and call them to faithful obedience. And this morning, we're just continuing that. We're looking toward the future as parents. And really the big idea is this this morning. As parents, we have both the privilege and responsibility to raise up our kids and send them out on a mission to God. Psalm 127 helps us 
ask and answer the question, how do I best prepare my child to thrive in this world? Before we dig into the psalm and the philosophy principles, just a few background observations. Notice, we tend to skip this part when we read psalm. We jump right into the first verse. But look at verse 1 and 127. It says, a psalm of ascents of Solomon. That's part of inspired scripture. And so we see that this is a collection of psalms called the Song of Ascents from Psalm 120 to 134. These are brief psalms that were sung by pilgrims, followers of God, as they were approaching the temple in Jerusalem. So they would go on their pilgrimage and ascend the hill of the Lord to worship God in Jerusalem, and they would sing these short psalms as they were approaching. It was a song of ascent. That's interesting for us to know, because as we just read, this is a song about building. It's a song about washing over a city. It's a song about uh, having lots of kids and shooting them out like arrows. And uh, I don't know about you. I'm a, I was a worship leader the last seven years. I don't know any worship songs that we sing in corporate worship that are like this. So what's the point? Why would anybody, by the way, not just parents, why would they sing this song as they were approaching the temple to worship God? Well, because this is a song praising God for his sovereign work over all of life. All of life. So whether you're here this morning, you may say, you may have checked out three weeks ago, like I don't have any kids, I don't want to have kids, um, or, or maybe the kids are long gone, you say none of this really has anything to do with me. Yes, absolutely, it does have to do with the people of God saying this song as they were approaching God in worship. Because God is worthy of worship because he's sovereign over all things, whether it's the family, whether it's your work, whether it's any aspect of your life. Note also, when we're back to this, this song, is written by King Solomon. That is really, really important as we talk about what it means to have a godly family. But we'll, we'll hold that to them. Just put that aside. King Solomon, the son of David, wrote this song. We'll circle around that to that. But as we see this, what we want to do is draw out four principles as we prepare our children to thrive in this world. Four things. And I'll just give you an outline, show you where we're going. Trust, aim, shape, and release. That's where we're going. Trust, Aim, shape, and release. Here's number one. Trust in the sovereign God. As you're parenting your children, as you're raising them up, as you're thinking about their future, trust in a sovereign God. Solomon begins by showing that God both builds and governs everything. Look again at verse one. We see two pictures here. We see a house being built, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor build it in vain. The other picture, unless... Uh, we see a picture of a city being watched. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Solomon's saying, listen, all of this, the building of a house, the building of a structure, the watching of a city, all of it is useless unless God is in it. It's all a vain pursuit. And we're still new enough to uh, the city of Boston to do touristy things. So last week, I had my family in town last Friday. We went to we went downtown. We did a couple tours. We did a harbor tour on the boat. People love that. And we did uh, one of the trolley tours. And man, I, I love this city. I love going through downtown and just hearing all of the major feats that have happened in this city and, and the way uh, men have built this city, the architecture of the city, and not how Boston's unique because it's not just Boston. It's like this is the birthplace of our country. So hearing all of that, I'm a history buff, I love hearing that stuff. But as I was hearing this tour guide talk about all these great things people did and 
these great buildings that people built. I was reminded of this truth that really, who built Boston? God built Boston, right? Who, who built the city? God did. Who sustains it? God did. Because God is sovereign over everything. Every single thing. So we see that God is sovereign over society, but also we see in this song that God is sovereign over your family. That word house in verse 1, if you're using the ESV, it says, unless the one builds a house. That word house doesn't just refer to the physical structure of a house. A better uh, translation is maybe household. It's not just the building, but it's also the people that make up the building. Really, unless the Lord builds the family, those who labor to build it, parents, they labor in vain. God isn't just sovereign over society, big picture. He's also sovereign over your family. And this is what theologians would call common grace. This isn't just true for those of us who call ourselves believers. Maybe you're, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. That's fine. And you may say, not yet. God didn't really build my house. No, no, listen. This is something that's true for every single person. This is the common grace of God. That he not only builds your family, that he not only builds your career, that he not only builds your house, he sustains it all. Sovereign over it. Verse 3, you see, the children are a heritage from the Lord. You may say, what is that? I got married and I had kids, I had a part of that, another sermon, but I'm the one who built my family. I was in college, I got that job, I'm, you know, the breadwinner, and everyone made me guess. Did you realize that none of that would have happened unless it was God's sovereign decree? Thank you. God is sovereign over Deciding the sovereign over your family and logically to God is therefore sovereign over your children. Sovereign over your salvation, proclaim the gospel to them in hopes that one day they will turn to their sin and trust in Jesus. And He is because He is sovereign over their future. He's sovereign over where they will end up. As parents, this is really where the, the love needs to go. This should encourage us to go first thing. But this should lead us to trust in Him. But the future of our children, when it comes to their future, we can easily, I'm going to find myself like the person in verse 2. It says, It's vain that you rise up early, go away, rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. The picture here is of someone who is so devoted to building their own legacy, so dependent on themselves, working so hard, which is a great quality, but there's one problem. Totally rejecting dependence upon God, and they're fully dependent upon themselves. They can't even enjoy the food they're living. Instead, they eat the bread of anxious toil. Our parents, our children, at what age, and going off on their own, that can anxiety on us. I remember about a year ago this month, dropping Riley, our now five year old daughter, before, off at preschool. And I thought I'd do a lot of movies like that. But for me, it was a big deal. And I dropped her off, and she gets some teacher grabs her hand. I don't have a teacher. And she drives off, and, and she walks off. And I start, I, I start crying. I just confession time. I don't think I've ever even told everybody. I said, what? I start crying, because why? That's my little girl. Now, here's the thing. I live a mile down the road, and I don't see her again in three hours. There's only preschool three days a week. 
But I, I start crying, and the rest of the day, I'm, I'm like, Lord, I don't know what I had for lunch that day, but maybe it was the bread of anxious oil. Like, I'm, I'm concerned, is it getting along with people? Are there any voids that I need to lay the smack down on later? Why? It's only preschool, but what? What does that represent? That represented something. And parents, you didn't hear, when you look back and say, man, four years were my quit. You're like, uh-oh. I, I am in a small way, when it comes to preschool, some of you have released the college in my life, but I'm in a small way releasing my child. I need to trust that God is sovereign. Though you love your kid, God loves him. Right? Is that true? And not only does God love your children, you can trust that He is a sovereign God. You are not sovereign. You don't know the future. You and I, we make mistakes as parents, but God has a plan for you. You have big hopes and big dreams and big plans for your children, but yes, it has bigger hopes and bigger dreams and bigger plans. God has something. you believe that to trust Him with the future of our children, but also, this should humble us. Because that means I don't get to decide what the future of my children looks like. I don't need to decide what they go to school. I don't need to decide what they do for a living. Really, they don't either. Who does? God. God is sovereign over everything. And we need to teach them, by the way, to consider the same thing. You do not govern your own future. God does. What does God want you to do? Verses 1 and 2, Psalm 127. I think Jesus really does a great job of summarizing this. In John 15, 5, he says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to hear that as parents. Apart from Him, as parents, we can't do anything. We don't know the future. We can't plan the future. We desperately need that. That should humble us as parents because, one, we don't decide to do We need to humble ourselves and take a step back and trust that in God's hand. But also, we should be humbled by the fact that we can't do this on our own. We desperately need Him. If you're right, this person in verse 2 who is so laboring, so anxious over your family and working so hard without depending upon God, you need to be humble by that truth. And lastly, this should encourage us to pray and work hard as we think of our children, as we think of the future. Notice that God's sovereignty in verses 1 and 2 doesn't mean that the builders or the watchmen or us as parents, we stand back as passive onlookers. Look, look at that. We see this truth all throughout Scripture, but it's very clear here how God's sovereignty and our responsibility go hand in hand. It says, unless the builders, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. They're still laboring. The watchman still watches the city. And we as parents, we pray and we work hard and we point them in the right direction all the while knowing that what we need most is for God to desperately move in their life. George Robertson says this, commenting on verses 1 through Psalm 27. He says, We exercise our human responsibility along with complete and utter dependence on God. Neither one cancels out the other. Our labor does not preclude either the need for or the legitimacy of God's sovereign oversight, just as the display of God's sovereign and power does not render our labors privileged. Psalm 127 reminds us. As we labor to build, and watch to protect, and toil to eat, and bring forth children for blessing, 
our ultimate and perpetual dependence must be on the God who alone to make these efforts succeed their fruit return. Amen. I need to hear that. We need to be dependent on God alone who can make the efforts in our children to point to the future their fruit So always parents trust in our sovereign God, we also have work to do. Now, that leads us to number two. Aim for the glory of God. Number one, trust in sovereign God. Number two, aim for the glory of God. Verse three teaches us what we clearly see in, in the series already, that children are a blessing. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Now, we just, just need to pause there and say amen and acknowledge that children are a blessing because sometimes does it feel that way? I told you before that I have five kids in the age of seven. Uh, comedian Jim Gaffigan, he also has five kids. He says, if you want to know what that's like, imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. Right? Yeah. Some of you, you feel like that. And you hear, okay, children are a blessing. Seriously, look, about, look at this. Look at verse 3. It says, children are a heritage or, or an inheritance. Imagine tomorrow, if you found out you had some your uncle somewhere that died and left you twenty million dollars. Would you consider that a blessing, or would you say, seriously, how annoying is this? Like, how can I get rid of this as fast as I can? How can I put this to bed as early as I can? Right? No, that's what God equates children receiving inheritance, and just like any gift from God, our children are to be stewarded well for the glory of God. So verse 4 comes along and introduces this new image for us. So I think helps us teach how we, how we can aim our children, how we can shape them, how we can release them. It's a picture of a warrior who is the father. This warrior has arrows in his hand, in his quiver, which represent the children. And here's the thing about arrows. They're meant to be pointed at a target, right? Supposed to point arrows at something. So as parents, where do we want to aim our children? The glory of God. We want to aim them for the glory of God. There's a great little yellow book at the resource table for parents called My First Book of Questions and Answers. Number two, the question is this Why did God make you? God made me to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. That's why God made you, that's why God made your child. First Corinthians 10 31, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Matthew 22, 37, Jesus gives us the command that matters most. Everything is summed up in him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's the great first commandment, according to John 6, as we talk about in week one of this series. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7, God says, I'll say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold, bring my sons from afar. My daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, my form. Amen. Truth exists for the glory of God. The temptation of parenting is to be very inward and self-worth. If we're not careful, we can unintentionally aim our children at a self-focused target instead of a God-focused target. I'm perfect. Sometimes I'm intentional. I would, I would do this in one way. Just think about it this way. If your schedule is so filled with activities for your children that you have 
no time for anything else. You are unintentionally sending a message that life is really all about business. And that you as parents aren't all about the glory of God, you're just about business. Or, as your kids get older, you struggle with elevating success in academics or athletics above the glory of God. Instead of teaching them how they can pursue excellence in their ministry for the glory of God, you are unintentionally doing exactly what this man is doing in verse 2. You're teaching them to pursue vanity. Because you hold out the target as academic success. Or athletic success. Parents, have you ever talked about the glory of God outside of the walls? Because if you don't, you send a message that God really isn't glorious enough for mom and dad other than Sunday morning worship or communion. He's not glorious enough for 24 7. He's just glorious enough for this church program. They will all soon. You aren't aiming for the glory of God. Neither is the glory of God. Where are you aiming for children? Paul Tripp says this we can't give our children what we don't have ourselves. If the glory of God is not target, then it can be made. What are some simple practical ways? Thinking about those, those things we need to be guarding on. What are some practical ways we can teach our children to for the glory of God? Teach them to run decisions through that filter. When you're talking with them about making a decision, ask them, what, what will most glorify God when you do this? Teach them to pursue excellence in academics. Please don't just hear me. I'm not saying you need to tell your kid to, to get straight C's for the glory of God. Right? Teach them to, to pursue academic excellence. Why? Because Jesus gave them a brain to pursue excellence for his glory. And when they are, are getting straight A's for the glory of God, people, when they're getting straight A's for the glory of God, they're lifting his name up. And they have an opportunity to tell others around them, here's why I pursue academic excellence. The same is true with athletics. Teach them that to be superior in athletics and they're involved in sports is not for self-glorious, but because God gifted them that way to bring glory to them and to minister to the teachings. That's how you aim them, train them to pursue the glory of God in all things. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he or she is old, he will not depart from it. If you aim them now to start thinking, okay, whatever I do in life, it's all about God's glory. Then when they grow up and when they're sent out, does it really matter what career they have or who they marry or where they live? If they're running everything through the filter of as long as God's glory. It's a target you want them to do that. So aim for the glory of God, number three. Shape for the purposes of Shaped for the purposes of God. The arrows, they have to be carved, right? An arrow was once, especially in Psalm 27, no carbon fiber arrows in ancient Israel. And so it was once a tree that had to be chopped down, that had to be carved, that had to be whittled, that had to be molded, that had to be sharpened, and this took time in the same way we as parents. We want to sharpen and shape our children and prepare them for the future as they're sent on mission for God. So really what this is talking about Shaping your child for the purposes of God is discipleship. So if you miss 
uh, the last two weeks, especially if you missed last week, where Pastor John talked about gospel-centered discipleship, teaching your kids with God to do the work to obey His Word. I would really encourage you to go listen to that. But we're really talking about specifically, not just discipleship this morning, but discipleship for the purpose of mission. How do I shape them to start thinking about their life as for the glory of God among the nations? Matthew 22, which we just read, where Jesus says the first commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says the second is like it. Love who? Your neighbor as yourself. So here's, Jesus says, here's what matters the most. Love God and the glory of God. And then we send out on mission for God. So we're teaching them what matters both. We're teaching them to aim for the glory of God and to be shaped for the mission of God. Two primary ways. A lot of ways we can do this, but I'll give two primary ways we do this in our children. Number one is prioritize the life of the church. The future spiritual well-being of our children is heavily dependent upon active involvement, membership in the local church. Why? Number one, because earthly families are true, but God's family is true. If you show your kids the importance of the local church, you're preparing them not just for the future when they come go out of the house and you hope that they find a strong, healthy church for the You're also preparing them for eternity. Because guess what? There will come a day when we will all be brothers and sisters standing before there will only be one family, the family of God, and there will be one marriage between Christ and his church. Here's what Jesus says on this in Mark chapter 3, verse 33. It says, who are my mother and brothers? Looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. What Jesus is saying there really is that the spiritual family, those who have been adopted into the family of Christ by turning from their sin and trusting in Jesus, the spiritual family actually trumps the physical family. Be hard for us to hear, but that's what Jesus is saying. And so, when you prioritize the local church, you're teaching your children that God's family is eternal. You're preparing them for eternity. We also prioritize the life of the church because the church is here to help you shape your children. This, this is huge. Get your kids around other believers. In this church. If you're part of this church, but you, for whatever reason, you only come on Sunday mornings, you're not involved in the community of the church, you are missing out because there are people who are older than you who can pour into your life and they can pour into the life of your kids and they can help shape them for the mission of God. Young parents, when you're struggling, talk to, find, I encourage you after the service, find an old parent and ask them, hey, can we go to lunch? And you can just kind of download that wisdom. Now, if you're an old parent, don't be offended. Someone walks up to you and like, hey, you look old. Can you give me some of your wisdom? It's all for the glory of God, right? But, but is this not one of the, the major practical blessings of the church is that you are not doing this alone. You're thinking through, okay, I want to pour into my kids so that they're sent on a mission for God. What do you have for the local church? You have a wealth of people who have done the same thing you want to do. And they can pour into you and teach you how to do the same. I was a recipient of this growing up. I, I watched my mom come to Christ, watch her life completely and totally transform, uh, even for years before I came to Christ, 
and I said she was a single mom, and I saw when I hit the teenage years, I had them like with a vengeance, you know, so she needed all the help she could get. And I saw men come into our house or into my life and, and provide what I, I believe not only the local church provides Christ in I saw people come and help my mom with difficulties and these questions. So whether, wherever you are, whether you have young kids or you have little kids or you're a single parent, know that the church is here for you. Prioritize the life of the local church. If you're not loving your community, please do that. You're missing out in this way to shape your children for the future. Another reason it's important to prioritize the life of the church is because if you don't love the church, neither will they. The last seven years of opportunity and the heartache to watch many teenagers grow up as a youth pastor, uh, watch them grow up, graduate, leave the house, and see where they kind of landed. And many of them, by God's grace, they plugged in the life of the church, wherever they go to college, they improve spiritually, start serving others, and God's used them in amazing ways. But, but sadly, several of them just completely fell off the map in the life of the church and living a life for the glory of God. And, and not always, but you know what one of the major connections was? Was a family that was committed to the life of the church. I saw families who, they served well. They loved the church. They loved the bride of Christ. They lived on mission. They brought people to the church. And as their children grew up in that, their children saw, you know what, this matters. And they saw not only biblically what they were hearing about the importance of the church, but they saw in real life, I need this. And so when they grow up, when they went off to college, they said, you know what I need to do? I need to plug into a church. Right? That's what parents want. There, there were a number of families I saw who they were either sort of committed, and only just attend. They'd observe that they weren't really plugged into the life of the church or parents who weren't plugged in at all. And it doesn't surprise me that their children didn't see the value of the church either. To prioritize the life of the church. If you don't love the church, chances are neither will your children. Another way we, we shape our children for God's purposes is we teach and model mission. We teach and model mission. In order, in order to do this, you need to know your kids well. Their personalities, their likes, their interests, their talents. I, I love the other day, uh, we were driving down the road, and uh, it was after a Sunday service at Redemption Hill, and Hudson had heard Pastor John Reddy hold, you know, pull up a crayon bank for the adoption fund. It's due next week, I think, is when he turned those in. And uh, we got one, the kids think that's awesome, because it's a giant crayon, we're holding it, and we're driving by, and Hudson, my, my uh, six-year-old, he sees uh, someone doing a lemonade stand. I see it, I'm like, okay, let's try it. He says, hey, yeah, we can do a lemonade stand for the adoption fund. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. So I wanted to encourage that. I just realized I only have until next week to do it, so I didn't get working on that. <laughs> but you see what's happening. He's in the church. He's seeing this, and he's being shaped in ways that I'm not even aware of. And so when I see that, you know, I want to encourage that. He thinks that way. You need to do the same. Know your kids. Know their lives, their interests. And then brainstorm with them, dream with them how they can use their giftedness for the glory of God. Just, just some practical things you can do for, for children at various different ages. I think these are listed on the screen. Here's one thing you can do. You've got young kids. Teach them all the mission. 
have a prayer map or a prayer flow and pray for missionaries around the world. We do this as a family. We pray for the McCullough's in Indonesia. We pray for the Hallways. Some of you know Griffin, some of the parents of Lake Rim, Ghana, West Africa, on an unreached people group. And so we started building that into our family prayer time to now. We don't even have to encourage them. They pray for Indonesia, right? And they pray for Africa. And what I want is I want them to be shaped to think of this Christianity thing as not just something that stays in our home, but this global mission. Simple thing you can do. Or take what they've learned in family devotions or here at Transformation Station. Take that little card, maybe you have the Gospel Project card, and say, hey, who do we know as a family that needs to hear this truth this week? Ask them, who do you know that needs to hear this truth this week? She doesn't go to church, but doesn't believe in Jesus. Ask them that question. Involve your children in evangelism. Your home should be an open place where you have, are having unlimited into your home with the hopes that they will come to know the goodness of who Jesus is and the forgiveness that he offers. As your children see that, you are teaching and modeling us that this is important. Talk to your kids about it. As we started praying for Boston probably about two and a half years ago as a family. And as God brought that about, that we would come here and coax by Lord willing to plant a church. We started praying as a family, teaching our kids to pray, pray for this as well. My son Hudson, now he, he asks me questions. Now that we're in Boston, he knows why we're here. We're here because we want to see people come to know Jesus in Arlington, Greater Boston, and we want to see the gospel advance. So now he's asking if we meet somebody later on. He'll say, Is that person you I'm like, oh. and, and, and if I say no, he's like, Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> All right, so uh, unintentional accountability partner there, right? But I'm encouraged by that. Why? Because I'm seeing how God is shaping what's happening in our everyday lives. It is my focus on the mission of God. Maybe you have older kids, right? So how can I, middle school, high school, how can I engage them into thinking about mission? Read a missionary biography. A simple way. There's a great book. I don't think it's here. It's called Ten Who Changed the World by Dr. Danny Aiken. He just walks through ten missionaries. Very short chapters. He tells their story about how God used them to advance the gospel. Read something like that from the Encourage them to prayerfully engage their lost friend. Maybe you've got kids who are older. They're out of the house and they're about to go off to college or, or maybe they're thinking about careers. Here's a great question you can talk to. Uh, you can go over with your kids if they're older. J.D. Greer asks every uh, college or career student, how can you do what you do well for the glory of God but do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God? Help them think through that. Maybe they wanted to get a job in a major city job that has the best money. You can say, hey, well, well, think about it this way. You can do what you do as a businessman in Southeast Asia strategically for the gospel, a place where no missionary can go. You can go to a city in North America that has a church plant that needs people like you. You can do your job there strategically for the kingdom of God. Prioritize the life of the church and teach and model missions, how we shape our kids with the purposes of God. And lastly, very simple. Releasing the vision of God. Look for them. Releasing the holy vision of God. There will come a day, some of you have already passed this day, when you release the arrow, you spent 17 years shaping it, 
sharpening it, probably sometime you to break it over your knee. Um, you pulled the bow straight back, and now you can let go. Here's what I love about verse 5. Look at verse 5. Fast forward to the future. It says, Blessed is the man who fills his foot with the children. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the day. And the picture here in verse 5 is of a man who's surrounded by his grown children at the gates of the city where justice is administered. He is the father who won't be put to shame. He's proud of them. Or it makes a footnote. ESV there. The translation may say that they are not ashamed. Meaning the children are not ashamed of the Father. Either way, that's our hope as well. That our children will be named for the glory of God, shaped for the purposes of God, then released on the mission of God. Whatever their career or spouse or geographical location, we can look back and say, Thank you, Thank you, God, for what you've done. That's our that's our hope. Now, as parents, if you think that that's just too tough, if you're in verse 2, right, you're eating the bread that just boiling, you, you have a hard time thinking about releasing them. Can I, can I remind you that what we're really talking about here is the heart of the gospel? At, at the heart of the gospel is a heavenly father releasing, putting forth his own son, aimed at the glory of God, shaped for the purposes of God. Release on the mission of God to rescue sinners like you and me. That's what God the Father did for us. He sent His Son out on a mission because you and I could never pay for our own sin. And so He sent His perfect Son to die in our place on the cross, defeat death three days later when He rose from the dead, so that all believe in Him and have eternal life. And so if that's what our God did for us, is there any sacrifice too great for us as can Should we not want the same part of the Father, the same consenting part for our children to go and do what matters most for the glory of God? Now, this doesn't mean that once you release the children, you're, you're done as a parent. It doesn't mean you're completely inactive. You speak wisdom into their lives. You're available to them. Guidance to major life decisions, you continually love them and pray for them, but the hard work of shaping them, the mission of God is done. You've sent them out, and now you simply trust and watch God do His work. As, as we close, you, you may hear this, all of this, and think, you know what? I, I failed. I failed as a parent. I, I haven't been instilling the glory of God in my children. Maybe you're older and you look back and you look back at children and say, I completely blew this. Well, here's, here's where Solomon comes in. This is amazing to me. This psalm is one of the most popular psalms about uh, family and having lots of children. And who wrote it? Somebody who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. This isn't, this isn't a model family man. Yet he, he wrote this psalm and God used him to teach this truth that will matter to us is that we send our kids on the mission for God. Solomon is known for his wisdom. He's the wisest man. He's also known for his morality. So, like Solomon, we often we reject the wisdom of God. He's the wisdom of practice that God used him not only to give us Solomon, but also through the line of David and Solomon. 
you back Jesus. So if you're here and you feel like you failed, welcome to the club. We've all failed. There is grace and mercy at the feet of Jesus. If you feel like you failed as a parent, you think, I can't do this anymore, I can't instill this in my children anymore, it's not too late. Come, come to Christ, and let's together, as parents, realize we have the privilege and responsibility to raise up our kids and set them out on a mission for God. May we aim them, shape them, release them, all the while trusting God to do this work. Let's pray again. Father God, we thank you for the love and grace that you've shown us as a heavenly father. God, I thank you that as we think about what it means to send our children before them, as we have hopes and dreams for their future, I thank you that you have given us the greatest example of what it means to send our children and you sent your son on mission to rescue sinners like God, I thank you that there is grace and failures. I know there are so many ways in which I struggle with a self-focus in my parenting. But I feel like I'd rather just survive rather than just coast along. But I thank you for the grace of Jesus that empowers us to pursue this with our kids. But I, I pray there is anyone in this room Broken by the failure you remind them of that grace. Father, if there, if there is anyone who does not know you, the loving Father who sent his Son to die on our behalf, that your Holy Spirit will open up the hearts of the truth. God, lastly, we pray for our children. God, I pray for the children that are represented in this room. All different ages, all different stages of life. But it is amazing to think about what you can do with the next generation. So may the children represented here, may they come to know you, saved in faith. May they be aimed for your glory in every endeavor to pursue. May they, may they be shaped for your purposes in this world. May they be sent out on mission. Jesus, your Lord, Christ's name.